Welcome to Blue Team Diaries, the podcast that celebrates and honors the professionals who work tirelessly to defend their organizations and those who build tools to support defenders. In each episode, host Peter Manav invites his guests to share their stories and experiences in a fun and lighthearted conversation. Blue Team Diaries is sponsored by Stamus Networks, a global provider of network-based threat detection and response solutions. Learn more at stamus-networks.com. Hi, and welcome to this month's episode of the Blue Team Diaries podcast. I am Peter Manef, and today my guest is Ryan Irving. Ryan Irving has been in information and cybersecurity for over a decade in various roles to include local government and a large international bank. Ryan's specialty is in digital forensics and is currently a security operations center manager at Cyber Florida, which is housed at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Ryan holds a master's degree in digital forensics from the University of Central Florida and is currently a doctoral student at Dakota State University. Ryan also holds various certifications from CompTIA, ICC2, and GIAC. Hey, Ryan. Um, can you share, please, a cool project you have been working on recently? Something, something that, uh, that, that keeps your attention, keeps you going. Yeah, no problem, Peter. Thank you for asking that question. Um, so just to kind of set the premise, uh, the SOC that I manage and that I work in, it's not your typical normal SOC. It's a, it's a student-led uh, SOC or student-operated SOC. I help manage the students, provide them guidance, mentorship, all that sort of thing. And they're in their degree programs trying to get their feet wet in the field, right? Um, so really the fundamentals and the basics are really new to them. Um, so, you know, we're, it's, it's not like we have a bunch of seasoned professionals that we're working with in this case, right. we're dealing right. with students who really need to come from the ground up on this situation. And one cool project that we've actually gotten involved in is the Velociraptor project. Um, it's a great open source, uh, tool, um, that that's available. Uh, it's by, uh, Mike Coheen. So definitely encourage you to give that a Google and, and look up and it provides a, a, a free and open source incident response platform for us to engage in. Uh, because our SOC focuses on the Florida State University system, but as well as the public sector. And one of the services that we offer is we will uh, help with potential incident response. So if an entity would like to engage with us and you know help them investigate a situation, uh, we can leverage Velociraptor to engage with their affected asset remotely. We can All acquire right. evidence remotely off of that system, as well as run artifact runbooks on that uh, to help gather information in their incident and, and help them with their intelligence and, and their investigation. So that's actually a pretty cool project that we've been working on that the students are are excited about. So you pretty much lose it all, use it all the time and all that stuff. <clears throat> yeah, it's one of our main tools that we actually just got actually spun up a few months ago. Um, and, you know, there's still some things we got to work out with them. Uh, but the good news is I have paid, actually paid for some training for these students uh, to attend uh, some <laughs> actual Velociraptor training from a SANS instructor. Uh, so this is going to be uh, some good stuff that we're going to have. And it's really going to help solidify one of our main services uh, that we offer. But it, like I said, it's a, it's a really awesome platform. It kind of gives you that CrowdStrike real-time response capability that's within CrowdStrike okay. or Sentinel-1 or one of the other commercial EDR solutions in a free manner. So so do you ever use it like um, 
I've seen it used. Um, I, I have never used it myself, but I, I've heard about it and I've seen it used yeah. in, um, like even like in instant response, mm -hmm. of course, but in also in uh, also in sandboxing environments and things like that, right? So if you detonate some sort of a malware, mm -hmm. they, they want to know exactly what and how is it doing and all those things. Um, I was just sure. wondering um, if you actually have you ever uh, used it in a sandbox environment and things like that, or is there, are there any challenges there with? Uh, we're using it live versus, you know, a more static environment. Yeah, so with Velociraptor, I wouldn't say that we've used that in a sandbox so much. We do have a plan to put that in uh, and I'd like to have a training in a sort of environment. I think we're going to probably see how we uh, do that after we attend the training. But as far as sandboxes, we definitely do have those. And those have come in particularly handy um, when we're doing some malware analysis, right? Uh, so we actually do have a paid-for uh, private sandbox that we do engage with, but we also know that, you know, the threat actors out there, they know how to evade some of those uh, private sandboxes and dynamic solutions, right? So we actually had built out our own um, uh, via VMware, uh, our own kind of workstations, Windows, as well as Remix. Uh, and so we can interact with malware in that capacity too. Um, so, and we also have some capabilities to do some static analysis. Another cool project that we're having is we're actually looking to implement that in a cloud setup as well. So we're not just relying on localized VMware um, mm -hmm. for the VMs, but we just want to get this process in our cloud environment so we can spin these up on demand and have and have you know the scalability of, of the cloud um, and the resources allocated to those machines. Uh, if if you actually check out some of our uh, check out our CyberFortal website and go to our threat room. Uh, we've looked at some malware, I, I want to say recently now, but at the end of last year and beginning of this year, we looked at uh, two main variants, uh, a Redline Stealer and Arish Client 2. Actually, uh, we did a lot of good analysis on that, and we're actually provide that up to one of our partners, uh, the MSI SAC, uh, that That's we work awesome. with, as well as get alerts from. That's um, awesome. We were able to provide some good intel back to them on that, too. So we got to dig in on that malware a little bit. Won't say we're, we're the best, but hey, it's we're, we're, not, we're not bad. <laughs> we're, we're still learning, too. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's great to hear like that, and it's actually great that you have a a, a public link info on that and how, what you've been discovering and, and how you've been doing. So it's really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. That's really in the in the whole realm of uh, the whole idea about blue team, you know, <laughs> defense and all that stuff. So pretty cool, and thank you very much. But I assume, <clears throat> I suspect rather that, that the environment that you're working on, that you're trying to protect, rather, is very. Uh, Dynamic, shall we say? Uh, and um, especially, you know, very much so. and things. Yeah. And I was wondering if it's okay, of course, if you can share like a, a close coral, like, oh crap moment uh, that you were nearly breached or, or worse, for example, and or you managed to, and you managed to avoid uh, a disaster. And, and how did you do it? If you could share some tips and tricks, hints, <laughs> things like that. Right. Um, so in the, in the, in the current role that I'm have, we've definitely got to work some, some interesting situations. Um, I'll maybe try to share some of that and maybe I'll tell some stories, uh, from previous employment as well. And, you know, kind of protect the names for from the victim sort of, sort of say, uh, but thank you. Um, in this role that we're at here at, at cyber Florida, we are, you know, we're, we're a SOC and we provide what I would call ancillary, ancillary security services, uh, to a main security team, right? So we work along with them. I will say 
kind of a close call or, or kind of like an aha sort of moment that we kind of had relatively recently is we we're actually doing some analysis on um, a piece of malware called Vipersoft. Um, it's kind of one, it's kind of, at least according to MSI SAC, pretty popular recently. Um, and we were, we were reviewing an alert and we did some analysis and we saw some odd PowerShell going on or some, well, I kind of jumped the gun there, some odd PowerShell, but we actually saw an odd kind of HTTP request response scenario going on. Definitely base 64 encoded. Um, we were able to decode that very minimally with base 64 decoding it. So it was a partial part of PowerShell script. We didn't get the full log activity from it. Oh, right. um, we did some other analysis and actually identified that this activity was occurred to other tickets that we had because we were able to associate it to the domain of the uh, HTTP request, which okay. we had not previously kind of connected these, this activity before. So I was like, okay, this is really cool because now we're teaching the students, we're now finding pieces of information and we're pivoting offset pieces of information and we're starting to tie things together. Um, and it got to the point like, okay, we're really satisfied with kind of, we identified uh, this partial PowerShell script to this partial or not partial to this domain. And then we actually identified another domain. I'm not going to you know, hide the domain. It was uh, msdeq.com, I believe was a domain. And then there was a blogdesk.eu domain that we identified as well associated to this activity. Well, one of my student analysts wasn't satisfied, which I was happy to see. And he dug <laughs> in a bit more and he identified this other alert that was associated to this uh, same IP address. Mm -hmm. And we're like, okay, this looks like base 64 encoding. This is probably rinse repeat base 64 decode it. And it just is, is just gibberish, right? It's just not readable data. And we're like, well, he's like, well, it looks like it's encrypted. And I look at it and I go, this is not encrypted. It's not encrypted because the data itself is not random enough. Like I have a, you mm -hmm. know, a series of eight sixes in a row, a series of 10 okay, fives okay. in a row. Like this is not your typical true sense of encryption, right? And then right. I remembered in the partial PowerShell script that there was a function that used um, an XOR, a B, a B XOR, so binary XOR of 22 as the key. I'm like, you know what? Let's throw it in CyberChef and just for fun, see what happens. So Though they did CyberChef, base64 decode the data, and then I get the gibberish. I'm like, okay, let's throw in XOR, change the uh, key to decimal, and put in 22. And I was like, oh, crap, this actually worked. We had the full PowerShell script that it actually ran, right? And we cannot, as of last week, which was like Friday, like we cannot find like in OSINT land anywhere for free, like even in our paid OSINT, like ties to the domain, ties to this IP address. Um, right, this very activity. unique. So it's right. semi kind of new. Yeah, I'm not going to say we're like the first ones on it, right? But right. Um, if it's not out there, if we're not finding an IBM threat, we're not finding it in Alien Vault, we're not finding it in VirusTotal, we're not finding it in our own paid platform, this is probably relatively new. Of course, the domain and the, and the certificate, I don't remember the exact dates, but they were brand new on June 5th and June 7th. It's relatively new, right? Um, there's not a lot of new under the sun, but we got to see the full PowerShell script and we got a lot of other information that we're now, we're now able to pivot off of. And we're actually looking to write this up in a nice formal sort of report and you know, cool. share this with some of our, of our partners and, th and things like this. So this is a pretty cool story. Um, another, another close call that I'll actually say is a win in a previous employer. Um, it was actually a ransomware scenario event that, that we had, and it did affect something beyond just the uh, targeted user. Um, and and it, it affected their, their network share, right? Now, fortunately, there was good controls in place and that not everything was encrypted on the network share. And 
and only things that the user had access to. Uh, so by and large, there was a large part that was encrypted, but she wasn't higher level management. That stuff did not get encrypted. So the, so those controls okay. were working. And this was years and years ago now. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we did analysis. We did a timeline um, of it. We did the forensic investigation on it. We identified that, hey, this malware actually came in through someone browsing a site. At the time, this was... Uh, uh, a flash exploit. So it just tells you about, about how long you at least got to think back. Uh, right, right, occurring. Right. Flash exploit, exploited browser, got, got system privileges via the exploit, deployed ransomware, ransomware the, snare, uh, the, 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 the system the user had, pivoted to the network share, encrypted what it could. At the end of the day, though, we were able to identify new malware in that scenario um, that was not detected, get up to our vendors to write signatures. Um, and when I say new, not necessarily zero day, like it's not zero day. It's just, you know, new, new sort of file that was written, the same sort of ransomware that we all kind of encounter. Um, but at the right. end of the day, we're able to get the entity or the department back up and running with about six to eight hours of maybe work loss. So while there was some work loss, you know, no paying of ransom, a successful investigation done, there was some validation of controls and some lesson learns on what controls need to be tightened up. So, you know, all in all, obviously you never want that to happen, but this day and age, right everyone's just a target just to the sheer uh, access to the internet, right? So like in my book, I would count that as a win. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you very much. And that's actually quite amazing, especially um, <clears throat> the fact that you uh, that you mentioned, um, and thank you very much for sharing, the fact that you mentioned that, um, you know, a base 64 HTTP basically uh, transaction and all mm -hmm. that stuff, which is actually right clear text right and then you, mm -hmm. you have the file and you're able to to decode and all that stuff so out of your experiences um just out of curiosity how often do you think you can share with us you observe this or things like and how often does malware actors actually get on just clear text and things like that or it is more you think opportunistic where yeah. hey if um, it goes it goes You know, I you know, I think I think it runs the gamut. I mean, I think a lot of times we give threat actors more credit than they actually deserve. You know, they're at the end of the day, they're people sitting on a computer like you and me and the listeners here, right? Um, you have people who are very talented and very versed and very well skilled in it, and you go all the way down to the people who are just copying and pasting and trying to get stuff done, right? Like they don't even know where they what they're doing. They're just trying to shove something to make it work, like. In my experience, I've seen things that is just plain clear text communication, and I've seen it all the way up to where there's several layers of obfuscation. Base64 encoding is just the first one, and that's the easiest one. But then there's some sort of hex encoding or binary encoding, or there's XORing, and there's, oh, by the way, it was actually in encrypted as a part of the process when it ran in memory, and then that got shoved into the payload. So now if you're really going to get the data, you got to figure out what the AES key or whatever the encryption key was that was running in the process, right? And that's going to require maybe some static or dynamic analysis. And then you're going really deep in, in the end. So, you know, for, for where I live and, and the role that I have, a lot of this is going to be done at kind of like what I would consider the network communication sort of level. Um, and if we can get that, uh, those, those other details, like we're able to identify in that script and try it out, we will. Um, you know, as far as the static analysis of getting keys, you know, that's something that we got to work on and, and be better at. And it's, it's definitely doable, but you may know when you start talking about static analysis of the malware and following functions, you can spend a lot of time doing that. For sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, all right. Thank you. Um, but 
why are you doing all those things? So, for example, you know, from everything from incident response to 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 monitoring to to basically doing everything possible mm-hmm. to defend um, the 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 network and the users. Um, what's your go-to tool? Like, what's the one tool that you can't do your job without? And things like that. For example. So um, the tool that I would say that we go to every day. Um, and it's probably not what you're expecting, but if you're in digital forensics, incident response, and it's where you're going to get it, it's Excel, Microsoft Excel, <laughs> right? Because everything that we do, whether we're getting data from Splunk, whether we're getting data from Oak, whether we're getting data from a, any SIM, if I'm getting data from forensic tools, it's likely I'm putting it to a CSV. <laughs> and if I make a master timeline, guess what I'm making that in? Um, I'm making that in, in Excel and I know there may be some people who'd be like, oh, you need to use Timeline Explorer. Yes, you're right. Correct. I need to do that. Um, but as far as a tool that I use every day that I cannot live without, it's how to look at CSVs and Excel is the best thing to do that. Now, if we're talking from a technical presence, um, I'm going to say in this current role, I would definitely say our log management, which in this case is our Splunk instance is crucial for the students. They're in that on a, on a daily basis. Um, I would say that the um, you know, bulk of what they're doing is going to be uh, investigating alerts that come in through the university we're associated with or any sort of um, uh, SLTTs that we may engage with. We, we get some OSINT and fees as well. Uh, we may look into that for them through our Splunk instance or directly through our, our, paid, our paid product. Uh, but that, that that's the common tool that they that they use now from now if we're doing investigations or forensics right. man I'll tell you when it comes to memory forensics I probably cannot live without our uh, Velocity volcano tool which that's uh, that is a commercial tool but it's commercialized volatility I can't say that I found a better memory forensic tool out there other than that um, although when it comes to free stuff uh, I will say uh, when it comes to investigating our Windows systems. Can't go wrong with the Eric Zimmerman fair tools. Enough, fair enough. Fantastic suite of uh, tools to get to get stuff done. Um, but we but we got a, we got a range of commercial tools and things like that. I have no problem talking about them. But uh, you know we we leverage Magnet a lot when it comes to forensics, and we leverage uh, um, some other free and open source stuff too. Uh, things like Sansift and and whatnot and their platform. But yeah, we we you know it all depends on the job. And that's what it comes down to. It depends on the job. I would say most of everything is for this job starts and starts in Splunk, but then it pivots elsewhere and depends and depending on where you're pivoting to, you're going to have that go to tool for analysis. If it's memory forensics, we're going to, uh, you know, acquire uh, with either our paid product, maybe a free product. Uh, We're definitely going to analyze in our paid product. Um, If it's, you know, disk, disk forensics, um, it's going to be, you know, our, our magnet as well as, you know, those one-off uh, tools like, Zimmer, like Zimmerman's tools to help with that. If it's Mac or mobile, we have different tools associated to that f- for sure. Um, but yeah, it, it all depends. Uh, it all depends on where the investigation is pivoting us to. Got it. Thank you. But at the end of the day, it's all going to go to Excel. Like I said. <laughs> That's a good one. Day, yes. It's going to go to a CSV. Absolutely. That's a good one. Ryan, final question. Would you like to give a shout out to any mentors that help you through your career, through your daily work, through your life, whichever? So, all right. So, yeah. So any shout outs to uh, to mentors out there? Uh, definitely, for sure. Um, 
First one that comes to mind is David Rappel with uh, 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 DR Security. Uh, good friend of mine, been a mentor of me. He's helped progress me in my in my career, and he you know he made sure to give me opportunities uh, when I needed them. And he's always been a phone a phone call away. He says Brian, you're just a victim of your own success, and I'll never forget that saying that he gave me. I've used that. Um, he also told me you have to participate in your own rescue. So I've used that, um, when it comes to, to meetings and things like that too. It's a good saying, uh, Jeff roars with Pinellas County. Oh, he taught me don't let better or don't let perfect get in the way of better. That was a great one to go with too. It's a way to move the needle in cybersecurity. Um, not that I know him as well, but, uh, he was a big, uh, a big confidence builder for me it was Chad Tilbury. I took his SANS class. Uh, Sands Forensic 500, I believe in 2018. And uh, he actually called me after the conference and, you know, gave me some good pep talks and on how I could be a better forensicator and thought that I'd be good for some certain jobs and certain roles. And that was a huge confidence boost uh, to me and my forensics. Uh, honestly, uh, the team at, J at JP Morgan, Chase, they were best forensic team I've ever worked on. So uh, big kudos and shout out to them because uh, I definitely would not be as successful in that arena without their help. And I still keep in touch with those folks. So, so a bunch of good guys there. And there's more on the list, I'm sure. Sorry if I didn't mention you by name, but uh, thank you for all that you've done for me in my career. Thank you very much for sharing that, uh, Ryan. Really, really, really actually um, touching, uh, straightforward, and from the trenches, ladies and gentlemen, blue team. Um, thank you very much, Ryan, once again. Pleasure to have you on the podcast, um, an honor. Um, very grateful that there's people like you out there doing their job like you do. Um, and um, much appreciated. No problem, Peter. It was a pleasure to be here and uh, well, happy to be back anytime you would want, you, you'd like me to. So thank you for the opportunity to speak here. Thank you for celebrating and honoring the defenders with Blue Team Diaries. You can find this and all our previous episodes on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. If you're interested in learning more about our sponsor, Stamus Networks, please visit stamus-networks.com.